0: Hello and welcome to the Speaking for Him podcast. My name is Andrew Gommason, and it is my privilege to be your host each and every week as I offer you encouragement on this journey that we call the Christian life. You may notice right out of the gate here that my voice sounds a little weak. That is because I am in the process of hopefully recovering from a cold. Um, I was a little disappointed that it took me off of the road preaching this past Sunday, but Lord willing, I will be recovered in time for this coming Sunday when I will have an opportunity to minister at Camp Mishawana in Hastings, Michigan. So please continue to pray for me about that ministry opportunity and any future that may come up. I don't talk about this probably enough on this podcast, but along with being a podcast host, I'm also a traveling preacher. So if your church could use a preacher, or your pastor is going on vacation and would like pulpit supply, please let them know about my ministry. You can find sermons from my ministry on my website at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking the number forhim.com. And also, my full statement of faith is there. So, if I can be of service to your congregation or your special event, please let me know. With that being said, today on the podcast, I'm going to be talking about the newest addition to the God's Not Dead franchise of movies, God's Not Dead, We the People. Now, I wanted to give this review many months ago because I was hoping to go see it during its limited theatrical engagement uh, back in November of last year and was unable to do so. And then it went exclusively to PureFlix uh, but I decided to get a peerflix free trial and take in the movie and to review it for you I have enjoyed the past movies of this franchise and I'm excited to dig into this review with you in just a few moments but first let's talk about what is going on <laughs> There has been increased talk once again about the January 6th, 2021 riots in light of the election of Joe Biden in November 2020 because the Congress is in hearings dealing with this travesty. Now, as I begin a discussion on this, I want you to know that I do believe this is a travesty. I don't believe that people should have charged the Capitol And I do believe that we should respect our elected officials. That being said, I do think that this was being blown out of proportion, especially in light of remarks from our very own Vice President Camilla Harris. And I want to play this clip that I discovered this week from Marco Rubio. Now, this was a speech he gave in January, so several months ago, But in light of the fact that hearings are going on right now regarding this topic, I thought that his comments were timely even now.
1: Last week, the vice president of the United States told us that a riot that happened here in the U.S. Capitol last year was the equivalent of the day in which Japan attacked us at Pearl Harbor and the U.S. was pulled into a world war that took the lives of over 3% of the world's population. And yesterday we were treated to the president telling us that election laws that are being passed by various states across the country over the last year are basically the, the the same the equivalent of the segregation that existed in this country in the 1950s and 60s and before. Now look, if your daily routine is to wake up in the morning and turn on MSNBC as you ride your Peloton and and then you go on Twitter as you're drinking your caramel macchiato, and then you're reading the New York Times as you're eating your avocado toast. I imagine all this makes perfect sense to you. After all, for these people, they believe this ridiculous narrative that every Republican, every Republican, is an insurrectionist, probably a racist, wants to overthrow the U.S. government, and wants to destroy democracy. The good news is that the overwhelming majority of Americans happen to live back here on planet Earth. And what they're worried about, to the extent they even paid attention to any of the stuff that's been said over the last two weeks, what they're really worried about is the fact that everything costs more. You go to the grocery store and the shelves are empty. They have a small business and they hire someone on Monday who just disappears on Thursday and never comes back. You've got... Every day, thousands of people illegally entering the United States across an open border. And by the way, we have a surge of violent crime and lawlessness across the country. That, that's probably what they're worried about. In fact, I know it is on a daily basis. But to the extent they've paid attention to any of this, let me tell you something. First of all, I think almost everyone would tell you that what happened on January 6th here was a terrible thing. It should never have happened, and it should never happen again. But I don't care how many candlelight vigils and musical performances you have from the cast of Hamilton. You're not going to convince at least most normal and sane people that our government last year was almost overthrown by a guy wearing a Viking hat and Speedos.
0: Now, this speech goes on for a little bit longer, and I would encourage you to go to my blog at speakingforhim.blogspot.com and please avail yourself of the full video where Marco Rubio is giving this impassioned speech. But there's just a couple things that I want to mention here. First of all is keeping things in historical perspective. Nobody said throughout the riots of 2020 that we should compare them to Pearl Harbor or 9-11, okay? And there were so many riots and so much destruction And so much violence from one person to another through those riots. And somehow those were justified by our mainstream news media and by politicians. And these same politicians that justified that turn around and say that a January 6th Capitol riot, which involved maybe 30 or 4 people that actually breached the Capitol. There were thousands of people there. I understand that, but maybe 30 or 40 breached the Capitol and yet this was an act of violence that was compared to 9-11 and Pearl Harbor? Come on, folks. This is why we need to study our history. We need to know about our history so we can put the events of history in context. And spending all this time on the January 6th, Riots is a waste of time and resources. Remember, I said last week that I would never harass a liberal Supreme Court justice in the way that these elite leftists are harassing these supposedly conservative justices. Now, I say supposedly conservative because it's not necessarily intrinsically conservative to overturn Roe v. Wade, because all overturning Roe v. Wade did was, as a reminder, return the power to the states to make abortion law. All it said was that the federal government does not have the power to levy national law where the state law is sufficient because the states are allowed to have power. That is the greater issue. Now, am I glad for the sake of life that they took a stand? Absolutely. Do I believe that Some of these justices, if not all of them, may have pro-life leanings. Yes. And do I more importantly believe there's a double standard? Whereas if somebody does something you don't like, that instantly makes them evil? Yes. I do believe that. And that's the problem that we are facing here as a nation. And we need to be better than that before I leave this topic, I just want to put this out there that I saw this meme that I had actually shared a year ago, but I shared it again on my Facebook page and it talked about how we need to welcome children into church because having noisy children in the church is better than having no children in the church. And it struck me afresh that if we are going to see a revival in this country, and a pro-life attitude take root in this country, the biggest thing we need to do as a pro-life Christian community is to show that we love children. The thing that I think we're seeing in a post-Roe America is that we as a nation do not in fact love children because children are more commodity than blessing. And we as the church perhaps have more to answer for in this regard than does the world. So let's do the world a favor and show them by the way we conduct our lives and by the way we fight for life in a compassionate manner that children do matter and that life is precious. The next story that I want to mention is the latest chapter in the Leah Thomas saga. If you recall a few weeks ago, And probably over multiple weeks, I discussed the issue of Leah Thomas, who is actually William Thomas, winning a women's national championship in the pool competing against women. He competed as William Thomas for several years and was a pretty good swimmer competitively and then decided last year that he would change to being a woman swimmer identify as female, and compete against the women in college. And all of a sudden, this good swimmer, this moderate swimmer, became a great swimmer and was shattering the competition and, in fact, won a collegiate title. So the latest chapter in this saga is that Leah Thomas has been nominated for Female Athlete of the Year. So here is the reaction from a fellow nominee.
2: So William Thomas was a college swimmer. He was pretty good. Then he decided, pretty smart, to identify as a woman, and he became great. Not a scam or anything. And now he's been nominated by University of Pennsylvania, which is sort of an Ivy League school, as the, quote, NCAA Woman of the Year. So here you have a man competing in women's swimming competitions and getting awarded for it. Now, Riley Gaines also competes for the University of Kentucky as a swimmer. She is a woman. She's also been nominated to be the NCAA Woman of the Year. She joins us today. Riley, thanks so much for coming on. Wouldn't it just be easier to identify as an eighth grader and just dominate kids swimming?
3: <laughs> yeah, right. That sounds about like how it's going, doesn't it? <laughs> yes,
2: it does. I'm, I'm sorry to, to make fun of it, but I don't know what else to say. How do you but, feel? But You've that, been nominated. that's what it
3: is. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's a mockery. That's, that's what this whole thing has turned into. Um, something we've, as female athletes, dedicated our whole lives to. It, it's yes. something that people are laughing at. Um, it's an insult. It's incredibly disheartening. Um, and quite frankly, it's wrong.
2: Well, especially since swimming is, I ask any swimmer, it's gotta be the most painful of all sports. I mean, pain tolerance is one of the key qualifications for collegiate swimming, right? The ability to endure a lot of suffering in the pool. So you spent years enduring this and some guy jumps ahead of you. I mean, are you bitter about it?
3: I mean, we have an NCAA woman of the year who spent 95% of their life as a male. Uh,
1: yeah. They
3: just, it doesn't add up. Um, it's a, it's incredibly just, insulting. Think of all the athletes at UPenn, the deserving female athletes who did not get this nomination, and Thomas did after quite literally only one year. Woman of the year. It makes sense because it's been one year Thomas has spent as a female. Um, And so, yeah, it's insulting. It's a punch in the gut. It's It's a slap to the face, and it's a total regression of what Title IX stands for. Um, And ironically enough, I brought this. It's a letter I got from the NCAA today. Um, I got it actually as I was walking out of the door to come to the studio, but I picked it up. Um, It says that this award is rooted in Title IX. I'll just pause there for a second. It's rooted in Title IX, and as the 50th anniversary of Title IX, this year's NCAA NCAA Woman of the Year Award provides an important opportunity to honor incredible women and reflect on the impact of women on intercollegiate sports. And I just read this, and honestly, like you said, I just laughed, because that's that's what we're doing at this point, is laughing at women.
2: It's funny, because obviously the University of Pennsylvania is a joke, and it has been for a while. Most people don't know that yet. Do you find it interesting that the that Kentucky, where you go, has taken a stand for biology where this, quote, Ivy League school is taking a stand against biology?
3: Yeah, for sure. I think it says something about the Southeastern Conference. Um, yeah. It says a lot, obviously, about the Ivy League, but for them to nominate me, obviously, at the University of Kentucky, we have amazing female athletes. Um, we have Abby Steiner, who's a U.S. champion. We have Ryan Howard, who's the number one WNBA draft pick. Um, and so I don't want to say I feel undeserving because I've accomplished great things as well, but I, I do think that this is um, a little bit strategic on both parts.
2: Yeah. I think the takeaway for parents is if you have a choice between sending a kid to Penn or Kentucky, choose Kentucky. In a second, I appreciate you coming on. We are rooting for you, Riley Gaines. Good to see you. Thank you.
0: So once again, much like a few years ago when Caitlyn Jenner was honored as a Woman of the Year, uh, we have a man masquerading as a woman being nominated for Woman of the Year by the NCAA. Someone who has literally, even if you were to concede the point only been a woman for a year. Now, we've talked at length about why competition needs to be level. I've talked about my own experience in competition, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But I am simply going to ask you to consider the passion with which this young swimmer from Kentucky is discussing this issue and talk about what it means for her to be nominated For this award But know that some of her fellow women At the University of Pennsylvania Who may have been the school's nominee for this award Are missing out because of a man Who is clearly a man Who has chosen to change his gender And compete against women Just one flashback remembrance From when I brought this up before on the show is the fact that the race in question, when Leah Thomas won this national title, he beat a female silver medalist in the Olympics. So it wasn't just beating some random other woman. It was literally beating a woman who had established herself as an elite athlete in the world. Only one was better than her worldwide in her competition. And this is what we are dealing with if we allow this to continue. And so I think we need to be aware of these things. We need to be willing to speak up for the rights of women athletes. And we need to be able to argue from a place of fairness that this is wrong. I like human interest pieces. Uh, you know, I've played some on the podcast in the past and there's a couple different gentlemen that I like to play you content from. And this one comes from Eric Johnson. Um, I believe he is located in Washington state. If I'm not mistaken, I'd encourage you to look up his videos on YouTube. I discovered him on Facebook watch Here's a story that he did in February of 2020, so a while back, but it really resonated with me as I watched it this week. Maybe you've
4: heard some things about this new bunch coming through. The kids, Gen Z they're called. Maybe you've heard they're self-absorbed. Their heads are in their phones all the time. Their priorities are messed up. there's a thing called unified sports. The concept is beautiful in its simplicity. Special needs kids play on teams with regular kids, partners who help facilitate the flow of the game. This is the Kent Ridge Unified team. They practice in a tiny gym with little outside awareness. Their games draw little attention. It's a miserable, rainy Tuesday night at Kent Ridge High. There are some cheerleaders practicing. The gym is mostly empty. Before long, though, there are kids handing out programs at the door. Students start trickling in, students like Rohan.
0: I think it's like an amazing thing that we're doing here at our school.
4: And families, too. And the band takes its place with jeremiah on the bass,
3: i just wish more schools would do this type of thing so
4: i think it's a great event that we're running the stands are filling up some kids have homemade signs the Kent Ridge unified team is practicing layups and there's a team from auburn high on the floor too and the band is really cranking now that sign on the wall is what this night was all about pack the gym
3: I'm extremely proud of the
4: students, the faculty, and the administration for encouraging that. There was a guy with a flag. There was an energy in the air. Logan was ready to go. Really going to be excited to play for the home crowd. So was Joseph.
2: It reminds me of NBA or NBA All-Star.
4: And Peter. It was perfect day ever. It's my
0: big day ever.
4: By the time they rolled out the red carpet for player introductions. The place was a madhouse. The stands were packed. The Kent Ridge student body was on fire. All right! look, look at the crowd. Look! It's, it's amazing. All right. All right. Do, do. Once things got underway, the kids on the court poured their hearts into the game. So did the kids up in the stands. All right.
2: Powerful. Oh, this is gonna last forever. <laughs> this is like his own personal NBA.
4: About halfway through, a girl named Lizzie with profound challenges checked into the game for Auburn. And when she got the ball and brought it down the courts, the Kent Ridge crowd held its collective breath. And the other players cleared a path for their fellow athletes. And Lizzie inched her way to her favorite spots. And something wonderful happened. They could have been doing a lot of other things on a rainy Tuesday night in Kentridge.
0: Everybody here, just cheer on. These guys, they're having a great time, obviously.
4: They could have been self-absorbed on their phones somewhere.
3: It's very important for me to be here. I love supporting my school.
4: But they weren't. They were here, doing this. Playing a supporting role, making sure that everyone feels like they're a part of something at this school. Everyone. When it was over, they gathered around the Unified Athletes and asked for autographs.
0: I'll get you guys signed in a minute.
4: And before they ventured back out into the rain, there was only one conclusion to be reached. The kids are all right. Maybe they're better than all right. Maybe they understand things we didn't understand. Maybe, just maybe, they're better than we ever were.
0: And that was just a really moving Peace for me as a uh, disabled man who has sought inclusion and camaraderie among my peers throughout my life. I just really was blessed by the story of this school who was giving so much to make sure that disabled people and able-bodied people were able to enjoy the game of basketball together. And that really is what, what life is about. It's about unity. It's about being there for one another. And it's about living in community. We have so much individualism going on in our culture right now. And I think we would all agree that that is a negative thing. Uh, we are told to put our best foot forward. We're told to climb the ladder of success and don't let anyone slow you down. And I think even Christians kind of adopt that mindset. But we need to remember that Paul said, let each esteem other better than themselves. That that true happiness is found by lifting other people up. And we really need to return to that as a church so that we then can influence the culture to return to that mindset of putting others first and making a better life for those around us. First in our churches, then in our neighborhoods, then in our cities, then in our states, and then throughout the country and spreading throughout the world as we go forth and tell the story of the glorious gospel. That's really what it's all about, folks. And so I hope that that is an encouragement to you as you continue on in your Christian journey. Well, now we have come to the point in our podcast where I will be reviewing God's Not Dead, We the People. I have to say that I really enjoyed uh, this film, and I think that there's a lot to discuss here. But before I unpack it for you, I'd like to share with you the trailer for God's Not Dead, We the People.
1: Freedom is a fragile thing. And it's never more than one generation away from extinction. And those in world history who have known freedom and then lost it, have never known it again.
4: Let's face it, your God, your book, they're in the way. You feel that you're making a last-ditch stand for your faith, and you've
2: chosen this as a hill that you're willing to die on. Our whole faith started because one man chose a hill he was willing to die on would like to call this hearing of the house subcommittee to order
1: right now there's
4: definitely on the way to mandate universal educational guidelines once we decide what a child needs to know it becomes imperative that every child
2: know it
0: remember the visit we got from social services the other day i'm here to review
3: your homeschooling environment
0: religion has been removed from our schools They're teaching kids that they don't need God.
3: If your children do not show up at school a week from Monday, you will be charged with contempt of court, meaning you will be incarcerated.
2: Shannon said last night she doesn't want her parents going to jail. This is bigger than just homeschooling. I think we should fight this. We need to. just want to make sure you understand what you're fighting here. Our district teaches a revisionist version of history.
4: God is for us. Who can be against us? Not around here, just about everyone else. The country is just now beginning to realize that unity means winning under our terms. For 2,000 years, men
2: have been trying to get rid of Christianity. What makes you think that you can accomplish what they couldn't? They didn't have an 83% approval rating.
0: My God's not there. He's surely
4: alive.
2: He's living. That's part of your plan, isn't it? Keep us all divided? So we don't realize that you're really chipping away at our freedoms and liberties.
4: America is a country so blessed to whom much is given, much will be required.
2: You see those statues and those monuments out there? They say, you work for us. You are out of order, Mr. Hill. government of the people, by the people, for
0: So there you have the trailer for God's not dead. We, the people. And now to me, this was a very exciting film. And I want to share with you our quote of the day, because I think it was prevalent, not just in this film in regards to homeschooling, but in regards to the overall tenor of our government right now, which has been haphazardly trying to chip away at the freedoms of all Americans And here's what it says. That's part of your plan, isn't it? Keep us all divided so we don't realize that you're really chipping away at our freedoms and liberties. And that is from the pastor, Dave Hill, in this movie, God's Not Dead, We the People. So to set up the premise here, we have a situation in... Fictional Hope Springs, Arkansas, where a lady and her husband run a homeschool co-op with some other families where they are homeschooling their children and they get an unexpected visit from the Department of Health and Human Services or Social Services to observe their homeschooling setup. That doesn't meet the criteria that the state thinks it should, and so they are told that they have a week to come in compliance by sending their kids to school or making changes, and they decide to fight against this. Meanwhile, Pastor Dave gets them an opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. to testify about this crucial issue. And so these parents embark on this trip to Washington, D.C., and they go through these congressional hearings, and they state their case for why they should have the liberty to homeschool their kids, and that is the crux of the movie: is that they are laying out their case. The, the opposing side is coming back and saying, "You have not sufficiently educated your kids," and so it's a so it's a battle of ideologies. Um, and while I really appreciated this film, I, I just want to say. Off the top, kind of a little out of order Some of the things that I didn't like about this film Number one, I told my brother That I thought it would be more powerful If it was just called We the People And was not, in fact In the God's Not Dead series Because I think there is Something to be said For the issues in this film But I also Looked at the homeschooling laws In Arkansas, and Arkansas is actually a pretty uh, homeschool friendly state. So to have this particular issue come out of the blue from this state just seemed unrealistic. And then uh, we also have the situation where uh, they're coming in and there's suddenly this congressional subcommittee uh pushing for uh, education by the government because the children belong to us. Now, one of the problems with a film like this is that it's very fragmented because it's based on a lot of different legal trials that took place. And the fact of the matter is you could refute it on the basis of saying, that as a straight-up story, it would not occur this way. But if you look at the end credits, you can see that it was based on a lot of different legal uh, cases from a lot of different states. And so as a part of this review, I just want to take a little bit of time to tell you about the history of homeschooling in our country. I want to tell you, first of all, about the most difficult places to homeschool and then about the history of homeschooling in Michigan. Cause I think it's important for us to realize that there were real battles fought for this issue. Even if this particular battle in this particular film does not need to be fought in this particular way at this particular time, there's still a lot to be learned about this issue. So, I'm just going to take a few minutes to discuss it from a legal standpoint, and then I'll wrap up my movie review. So here's what I found out about homeschooling as far as the worst states to do so. They include Ohio, North Dakota, Vermont, New York, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and Georgia. Now, Georgia was definitely a surprise for me on this list because I thought that Georgia had been so conservative on so many things, but they are on this list nonetheless. And I think an important thing to remember, too, is that one of the reasons why this is so difficult to deal with is it's not even necessarily about the strictness of a state law, but also about the strictness of local school districts. It specifically says on this article about the the strictest homeschool states that in Ohio, many homeschooling families find thats that it is a difficult state to homeschool in, not due to the laws, but due to school districts with overreaching policies. There are reasonable restrictions set out by the state that are not more strict than other states. But unfortunately, many school districts have policies in place that go beyond the letter of the law. And I think this is an important point to make here because the situation may be that what you are doing is completely legal. But as long as the authorities that be can convince you that what you're doing is illegal, they have the upper hand a good case in point would be the case against Joe Kennedy, who was coaching high school football, who was praying by himself on the 50 yard line. His, his athletes decided to get involved and then he was fired from his job for doing that. And he had a long court battle, uh, before the Supreme court recently said he has every right under the first amendment to do what he did. Now I don't bring this up to talk about it at length again, because I've already done that. What I bring it up for is that a lot of the so-called laws against public expression of religion or against doing the right thing for your kids in education are not laws at all. And are in fact just imposed by the leaders in education to make you think that they are laws. So this is why we need to know our laws and we need to know our constitution so that we can fight legally for our rights. And we've had this discussion on numerous occasions on this podcast. Some people say, well, you shouldn't as a Christian Fight for your rights. But we live in a place where we have liberties. And we only have liberties as long as we're willing to fight for them. In the film, there is audio of President Reagan talking about how liberty is only ever one generation away from being expelled from the country. And it is our job to fight for it. And we have a system to fight for it. So it it astounds me that more people don't want to fight for their liberties because there are countries on other parts of the world where people would love to fight for liberty, but they don't have the opportunity to do it, at least through the means that we do. So I think that we are doing a disservice to the gift that the Founding Fathers gave us when they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor for this country. And I really hope that this film can encourage people to stand up and fight for their liberties. For those that don't know, the history of homeschooling in Michigan and the right to do homeschooling in Michigan basically comes back to the DeYoung family. And in 1984, they were homeschooling their children. And they got a knock on the door from the Department of Human Services, which I think at that time was the Department of Social Services, telling them that their children were truants and that they had to send their children to a classroom in short order or they would be in trouble. And eventually they were arrested and formally charged with the truancy of their children. What ensued was a 10 year battle in which the DeYoungs continued to stand for the rights to educate their children on religious grounds. And so the inception of homeschooling in Michigan, the legal precedent for homeschooling in Michigan, with no questions asked, was because of religious reasons. Now, since then, we have solidified homeschool laws in Michigan. I'm reading from this sheet from Michigan.gov that says homeschooling in Michigan guidelines by the Michigan Department of Education. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it basically says that parents have every right to homeschool their children, that there's no standardized tests or reporting requirements in the state of Michigan. But we have that liberty because people were willing to fight for it. So I think it's important to realize that we have the liberty to homeschool in the state of Michigan because of the battles that were fought for our liberty by the De Youngs and people like them. And even though this fictional story cannot be tied to one specific legal battle, I think there's a lot here for us to remember one of the things I really did like about this film was the fact that in the end of the film the pastor does an impassioned speech where he talks about the fact that the founding fathers and many who came after them fought for us to maintain the liberty that we have and that it was established by this country and reiterated multiple times that this country was by the people for the people and of the people and we have a choice either we can take that seriously and preserve our liberty or we can just let our liberty go I do believe in the providence of God I believe that he is in control and I believe that he will do what he will and he may cause America to cease in his timing. But I don't believe that we as Christians should be a reason for America's demise. And I think there's too many Christians out there today who believe, I can just pray about it, I can just stick my head in the sand. But when God told Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt, Moses didn't just say, I'll pray about it. And God said, that's sufficient. No, God said to Moses, go and I will tell you what to say. And I believe that he is telling many of us the same thing. Go, continue to fight for your liberty. And I will tell you what to say. Now, of course, the gospel is the most important thing. But the gospel should affect every part of our civil discourse in America. And in fact, many of our founding fathers loved the gospel. Two of our founding fathers who signed the Declaration of Independence founded the American Bible Society. So this idea that America is somehow divorced from Christianity is wrong. Now, I understand that sometimes people can go overboard, but I'm just trying to give you some background here to say, yes, there are battles that have been fought on behalf of homeschoolers. The people that are able to homeschool today in our state of Michigan are able to do that because of the fights that the youngs and people like them had With the powers that be. And so sometimes I get a little bit frustrated with people who just see homeschooling as another option. Because the whole reason it is an option is because there were people that felt like it should be an option. Like it was their conviction that homeschooling was the only way to go. And that's why we have the freedom we have today. So back to the film itself. Positively, we see a husband and wife banding together to fight for the right to homeschool their kids. I thought that was very good, and some uh, little behind-the-scenes is that Francesca Battistelli, who is a contemporary Christian singer of such things as Free to Be Me and other songs that I can't think of, of them at the moment, she had made the decision... As the pandemic set in, that she wanted to homeschool her six, now seven children. And she had been under conviction that she should homeschool them. But the pandemic pushed her to do it. I can relate to that because the pandemic pushed me to do this podcast here at home. So for her to do a movie that was defending homeschool liberty, it meant a lot to her to do it. And then we saw some side characters. Paul Kuo um, played Martin Yip from China very well. And then there was a Muslim, a formerly Muslim side character who was also in the film. And I really liked the way that they were brought back in. Um, Martin Yip, he was training to be a pastor, and he was really excited to go to Washington, D.C., because... He said having to study the Constitution for his citizenship test made him love American history. And I just really resonated with that. I remember a Monk episode of all things where Adrian Monk realized that a person of interest was studying to be a citizen because they had a Constitution in their purse to read. And he made the comment... Americans don't care about the Constitution. Now, it was tongue-in-cheek, it was played for laughs, but it really resonated with me several years ago when they aired that episode. And it was really interesting to hear someone say, because they were hoping for citizenship in this country, in the future, that the Constitution mattered to them. And so it, that part was a really good part. There was also a part that dealt with the at least partial rec- reconciliation of the formerly Muslim girl and her father. Uh, that was not really a completed storyline, so that kind of hangs out as a uh, uncompleted part of the story. Uh, then we had a side story about a young homeschooled teenager who meets a nice girl who's selling her car. He buys the car from her and they begin a relationship. And that was a very sweet part of the story ending with them going to the prom. So there were some really nice, uh, side stories. There were some interesting nods to previous films in the franchise. And so I thought it was a, a very nice and challenging film. As I said, one of the drawbacks of the film is that being in the God's not dead franchise because I thought it would have been more powerful had they moved it to a state that is more harsh with homeschooling. Maybe one of those eight that I mentioned earlier, I think it would have had more power to come from there. Um, And I think it would have had more power to not be part of the God's not dead franchise. Um, I think in some ways it did become Sort of docudrama because the historical facts that they were mentioning were really interesting but didn't really forward the plot of the movie. And so you could argue that in some ways it would have been better as a documentary. Uh, but I think overall a, a very good film and I would recommend that you take the time to watch it, especially if you have Pure or if you don't have Pure Flix, you can get a, a limited time trial and, and watch the film. And I think it will be very helpful uh, and encouraging to you. And hopefully inspire you to be able to stand for your liberties should they be challenged. Because I do think that is part of the issue too is not necessarily to say this is an issue for you now. But also... When it becomes an issue, are you willing to take a stand? Because I think a lot of people, and this is what I meant by being a little disheartened by homeschooling just being an option for so many people, because I think a lot of people, if they were challenged in their homeschooling, would take the path of least resistance and say, okay, if you're going to challenge my homeschooling, then I'm going to put my kid in school. And in some ways, there isn't a problem with that. But as we've discussed throughout this whole two-year period since the pandemic began, the way that liberty is reinforced is when we stand for it. We wouldn't have our nation if our founding fathers hadn't stood for liberty and said, we pledge everything we have, our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor to make this happen. And whenever there has been progress In the pandemic and in other areas of government overreach, it is because people have been willing to stand up and say, this is not the right thing. This is not the law and I have liberty and you need to support me in it. And so we need to be a people that are willing to do that. And you also saw a side story of a lady who lost her husband because he gave great service to this country. And you saw how she was being marginalized by the congressional people that she was testifying before. And she said, hey, the fact is I work for NASA. I chose a lesser job so I can be there for my son because I'm a widow because my husband served the country. And it's amazing how our perspective can change when we learn more about the people around us. And so I, I really think this is a good film on multiple levels. Uh, I'm going to give it a 3.5 out of 5. 5. Uh, because I do think there are aspects uh, that could have been better. I have kind of outlined them throughout this review rather than putting them one right after the other. Uh, But I think what you have here is a solid story. And I saw a reviewer that said this is the best um, story of the Gods Not Dead franchise. I would have to say that other than... few of the things I mentioned to you previously, I I think I would have to agree with that. I think what I would have liked to see more of uh, before I close is I would have liked to see the complainant in this case and the nature of the complaint and then them addressing those complaints directly. Because another thing that didn't seem to happen is it didn't seem like the person uh, from social services who was lodging the complaint spent nearly enough time with them to make a determination like she did in the first place. But all in all, I think that God's not dead. We, the people is a, a good film to watch. It inspired me to continue to fight for freedom and to continue to speak the truth. Because another aspect that was brought up in this movie is that truth is not relative and that it it is definite and definite truth is the foundation of all liberty. Because if everything's true, then nothing is. Well, that's about all I have time for this week on the show. I hope that you've enjoyed the review of this film, God's Not Dead, We the People. I hope that you'll take the time. To watch it with your family. Um, If you have pure flicks. If you don't. You can get a week trial. I'd encourage you to do that. And. I just hope that you will be encouraged. To continue. Throughout this next week. To keep serving. The best of masters.
2: Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gamson, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four,